Welcome to Faith Center Foursquare Church's Message of the Week. For more information on the church or ministry, head on over to our website, eurekafaithcenter.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Now, we hope you enjoy this message. I'm so thankful to be able to be here today and speak to you. And we just, uh, we just got done with summer camp last week. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, we, we took 38 kids. Like, wow. Uh, that's, this was the first uh, camp we've, like, successful full camp that we've done since COVID. Um, and it was just so, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's just ama- it was so amazing to be back with a bunch of kids and just doing ministry, seeing baptisms, salvation, spirit baptisms, and just watching them have fun and connect. And it was an amazing time. Uh, and it really inspired uh, what I'm speaking about today. I just, I just see that it's, it's time to get back to church. And that's what I've titled this passage is, it's time to get back to church. And it's time to get back to being the church. So that's, that's something I feel like God's really calling us to is, is we've had this period where church is just kind of fluid and flexible and we're kind of just kind of going with the flow, but I think it's really time to come back and come back to the heart of church and what God is calling us to as a church. And uh, I, I just need to uh, just husband brag, proud husband for a little bit, you know. Sarah did so amazing like a few weeks ago, didn't she? Yeah, just, it, <laughs> I'll tell her you said that. She's not here. She's on, on a little missions trip, but uh, I'll tell her you said that. I'll clap in her face and say, this is what they said. Um, and, but just so amazing. And that was her first time uh, preaching. And it, it was just a huge, yeah, like I've, I've spoken for, I've spoken a lot. And people still ask me if it was my first time. So for her to go up there and just speak uh, like she's been doing it for years was amazing to see. And I, I was like, I, mean, I need to take notes. And it's, it's something that, that was really amazing for me to see and be part of because it's something that, um, you know, when you, when you walk with someone through life, especially in marriage, you really believe in them. And you believe in God's call in their life. And it's been amazing to walk with Sarah through all the good times and the bad times. And I've always told her that God's just got amazing, special things. And, like, her speaking was not, like, the pinnacle, but it's just amazing to see her just step into her calling. And to see someone who Sarah embodies, like, she always encouraged people to step into their calling. But to see her do it has been amazing. And I bring that up not just to talk about Sarah, but I, I bring it up because we have been in ministry together since really high school. And we've seen a lot. We've walked through a lot together in ministry. And uh, we, we got, when we got married, I had just gotten a job at a church at 19. I think she shared that. And we, don't know, we still don't know what the church was thinking, hiring a 19-year-old uh, to be youth pastor, but, but it worked out. And we were, we've always been really, really dedicated to ministry. So when we got married, we, um, we got married on a Saturday, and we, we were back 
for youth group on Tuesday. Like, that's how committed we were. It wasn't our, like, ministry is not our identity, but it's something that we love and God's called us to. Our identity is in Christ, but we also feel very called to ministry. And uh, as I was thinking about this, this sermon series this summer, it's called Summer Stories. So I was tr- kind of trying to think of, like, a story. And uh, as, we w- as we went to summer camp this, this, uh, this last week, Sarah wasn't able to go with us, but it, it, did, it did allow me to think of, of some, some summer camp stories. And uh, I thought back to a time early in our marriage where, um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I get very easily distracted. So, so uh, the first year, one of the first or second year we went to summer camp together, I got really focused on what was going on at camp. And I wasn't really checking in with Sarah very often. So she came to me and said, hey, I feel really neglected. You could at least like check in once in a while. And I was like, you know, I had to get over, I don't know, my prideful stuff and say, yeah, you're right. So I really tried to work on that. And then um, I said, there, there must be something else I could do. And so I decided to write Sarah a love note. And I, and I wrote a love note to her. Uh, just to really communicate things because, you know, a lot was going on, so I just wanted to make sure I had, she got that focused love note. And I put our pet names on it, you know, what we called each other, so that, you know, if someone happened to get a hold of it, they wouldn't know, like, who it was for, you know. And, uh, you know, we were married, so there's an element in the, in the note, there's marriage-level intimacy. Nothing, like, weird or crazy, but, like, just, if you read it, you'd know that we were married. And so... Uh, I gave her that note, and she seemed to really like it, and kind of camp ended it, and it was great. And then I get a phone call from one of our junior high girls' moms. And she says, hey, I found this love note in my daughter's bag, and I'm a little concerned. Sarah loved my note so much, she dropped it in one of our students' bags. And so this mom, could you imagine being a, a parent finding a marriage-level note with pet names on it? Luckily, this mom knew that this, this could not have been intended for her daughter. And, and so she, she says, hey, I think this is yours and Sarah's note. Just want to make sure, make sure you know that I got it. And my daughter didn't read it, which... <laughs> That would have been, a, oh man, I would, have, I would have had to explain to her why her daughter is not allowed at youth group anymore, because, <laughs> like, it would just be too awkward, uh, but I didn't have to do that, luckily. Um, and then we talk, and, and uh, we, you know, I apologize for the 10,000th time, and she says, okay, goodbye, and then she calls me my pet name. <laughs> and that was really, really embarrassing. It was, that, that was rough. But as I think about that story, I'm reminded that I was reminded that the Bible really is a love note to us. And there are many different ways we can approach the Bible. You know, it, there are truths about the Bible, right? It's it is truth, and it's historical, and it's a great work of literature. And there are all sorts of different ways we can approach the Bible. But God really intended it to be a love note to us. 
Like that, like that mom that read the love note, that mom could not have received my love to her, right? It, my, that love note that she read was not directed towards her. It wasn't directed towards anyone else but Sarah. So Sarah was the only one that could receive that love note. But that mom could read that note and say, wow, John really loves his wife. So how do we approach the Bible, right? Do you, do you approach it like it is a love note to you? Do you receive the love that's in it? Or do you, or you, do you read it from the outside? And the, and the key to, to really receiving the truth in the Bible is knowing him. It's through belief in him and having a relationship with him. And reading the Bible and approaching it more than just an instruction manual, right? You know, Bible, basic information before leaving earth, right? It's, it's not just basic information. It's a, it's a love note from your God, your creator, to you. So it means something a little more to us than, than someone maybe reading it as a work of literature. Yeah? Amen? All right, good. Okay, cool. We're on the right track here. So then I think, okay, where do we go from here? The, what reminded me of, of, of this whole love note story and like what scripture, like as I was reading scripture and I've been working with these passages um, have been in my life the last couple months. And I'm, I think about the Sermon on the Mount and the account given in Matthew, and I, I'm, I start to realize the significance behind it. Because Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. And Matthew was written, written specifically for the Jewish people who knew Jewish history, who knew genealogy, who, who knew the law. And, and and Matthew was written um, to speak to those people. And, and, and then Matthew shows Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, taking time to explain the law to the people and really walking them through. They're saying, he's saying, I am the fulfillment of the law, and here's what, what the Ten Commandments actually looks like. He, he addresses adultery. He, he addresses murder. He addresses hatred. He addresses all the things that the law was talking about. And Jesus is saying, here I am. You, you are hearing and listening to the fulfillment of that law. Here it is in person, and here it is personally given to you. And then Jesus ends by saying this. We'll read this together. It says, everyone who hears Everyone who hears these words of mine and does, does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, but it did not collapse. You're like audibly reading it with me. That's great. Let's keep going. Uh, where were we? Because you guys, wow, you guys are awesome. All right. What? Yeah, but like I had to, I, I was having a hard time finding the spot, but you guys were on it. That's what I'm saying. Uh, because its foundation had been laid on rock, 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, and it collapsed. It was utterly destroyed. So Jesus just gets done saying, okay, here I am, the word personified. Here is, if you really want a, if you want an abundant life, if you want to live like heaven on earth, here's how to do it. And then he ends with saying, if, if you really put this into practice, you're building on a firm, strong foundation. So that when, can we put the, that verse back up? If, if you notice, the, the rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against the house. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. Didn't say the rain might fell or the rain might have fallen. The flood could come. It said the rain did fall. But the house was not shaken. It, stood, it was standing firm on the rock. And Jesus is saying, I am the rock for you to stand on. Here I am. And that's love, right? That's the love note. That's the love point for his people listening. This is love that you would build your life on me and hear my words as more than just truth. But it's relationship and it's, it's life. So we see from this that difficult times are certain, but your foundation is optional. It's biblical that life is difficult, but you get to choose where you build your life, where you build your house. And, and as I mentioned, right, Jesus was, was walking as heaven on earth. And then when Jesus left earth, he sent a helper for us to continue to experience heaven on earth. And that's the Holy Spirit. And have you ever tried to build something on your own, maybe a house? Right? There's so much that goes into it. People, you, you need it. Like there was a, I worked for a contractor out of, out of college, and he could probably, he like put up houses by himself, but he still needed, you know, he still needed some help. I was the shovel guy. I just shoveled, right? He looked at my hands. He's like, those are shovel hands. And just, he's like, go do it. Jesus tells us that he sends us a helper because that would, that's what the Holy Spirit is to us. He helps us build our life on the rock. He helps us build our life on truth. So we can read truth and read the Bible, but re we can actually receive it. We can be on the inside of what Scripture is telling us and not on the outside. Romans 8, 24 through 28 says this. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how we should pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with 
inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints according to God's will. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Amen? Amen. So, as we think about what this verse is, is telling us, we, we can see that when we hope for something and then we, and then we get what we hope for, we have to hope for something else. Right? Have you ever had a dream or wanted something and, you, and then you get it? And then you're like, well, I need something else now. Right? And, and falling into that cycle of being discontent. And this is telling us that, that we have hope for the future because Jesus is our future. And that we have hope, be, we ha- our hope is in one day being with Jesus for eternity. But this tells us that, that God gives us things to hope for along the way. And he sent the Holy Spirit to us so that we would have hope as we wait for eternity. So it's, it's God that is our hope. And when we place it under other things, on our own understanding or, or the things of this world, we continually get disappointed. But if our hope is in Jesus, we will never be disappointed and that hope is available to us daily through the Holy Spirit. Because we have the privilege to sit with him. And we may never know what to pray for. We, we may pray for the wrong things. Have you ever prayed for the wrong things and, re- and realized, I am so glad God did not give me that. The Holy Spirit takes our prayers and he aligns them with the will of God. That's amazing. And then we learn, right? We learn from prayers not being answered what God's will is. Sometimes we get discouraged because God's not answering our prayers. But sometimes God's showing us that what we're praying for isn't actually what God wants. And God is inviting us to align our will with his. So we're able to just, sometimes we just sit. We don't know what to pray for. But God knows our heart. And the Holy Spirit takes those things to the Father and he intercedes on our behalf. I'm going to drink some water. I was counting the last services, but I've lost count. Was it three? You were counting? Awesome. My third one? And I want to continue to explore this idea of hope because we really do take a lot of our hopes and we take them to God and God shows us that this is not really truly what we're supposed to be hoping for. And that reminds me of the, the Israelites 
and, and the Jewish people who were crying out for a king. In 1 Samuel, we see them make this switch. They said, we are no longer, we are no longer content just following God and his prophets. We want a king. And you might ask, why? Why wouldn't you just want to be led by God? Well, the Jewish people would look around and they'd see king, kingdoms around them more powerful, more strong than they were. And they're like, we want to be like that. And then God, God, li- God laid it out for them. He's, he's like, those kingdoms will find their destruction, but, but you believe in the one true God and I will never fail you. And they're like, well, we've, we want, still want a king. And God, God goes back and he says again, hey, this is not going to end well for you. And what do they say? We still want a king. And if you've read the Old Testament, does, it go, does that go so well for Israel? Not quite. And so that, that shows us if we want to be like other businesses or other organizations and rely on human leaders, we will fail. But if we keep our eyes and trust in Jesus, we will never fail. He will never let us down. And it's so crazy for me to think, even when God sent the fulfillment of the law, the king that would actually love them and and care for them and die for them, who is Jesus, they still rejected him. when they got ultimately what they needed and wanted, they still rejected it because it was not what they had dreamt of. It's not what they had hoped for. And I think that's important for us in this time to realize. As, as you may know, we are what we would call in a time of transition. We don't have Senior, a senior pastor or senior pastors yet. And it's been a lot of months in this waiting period. And really, this, Sarah and I have been through this a lot. This is our, I think, fourth uh, pastoral transition. This is our longest. Uh, we actually, this last, this last season, like three years is the longest we've ever been, we've ever had a senior pastor for Sarah and I personally. And so it, the day I got, or I got hired at 19, like I said, as youth pastor, and the pastor that hired me left a month later. So, so we've seen a lot of transition. And what we've learned from that time is it goes well when people keep their eyes on Jesus. But when people take their hope off of Jesus and put it on a man or a position, it doesn't go well. Division happens and, and turmoil happens. But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. I have a hard time calling this, this time that we're in as a church a transition. Are we transitioning from God's leading? No. God is still in control. He's still leading us. So we should be more focused. We should trust God that he's going to bring us senior pastors 
in his timing. But we should be more worried about what God is leading us to now as a church. What, have you asked this question? What is God teaching you in this waiting period? Is he showing you something? Because he's speaking to you, I know it, because he's spoken to me so much in this time. He's teaching me things. When I, when I don't have the security that I'm used to, he's showing me that my security needs to be in him. Are you with me? You don't have to agree, but, you know, are you with me, though? <laughs> I think the, the word in there, the groaning, the Holy Spirit groans for us, is the, we might be groaning in this time. But let's take our grumbling and our groaning to God before we take it to other people. Let's take our dissatisfaction and our critiques and our, and our attitudes of, of, that are not of God and let's, let's take them to God first and allow him to align us with his will before we go to other people. And I think in this time, if we want, really want to survive this time, we need to keep our focus on Jesus but we also need to become givers. We need, to, we need to find out where God wants us to give in this time. And where God wants us to step in this time. We're going to read this passage and then we'll close. It says this, Therefore I thought it necessary to urge these brothers to go to you in advance and to arrange ahead of time the generous contribution you had promised. So this may be ready as a generous gift and not as something you feel forced to do. My point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all the grace overflow to you so that because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you will overflow in every good work. Just as it is written, he has scattered widely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. Now God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for food, will provide and multiply your supply of seed and will cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow. You will be enriched in every way so that you may be generous on every occasion, which is producing through us thanksgiving to God. Because the service of his ministry is not only providing for the needs of the saints, but also overflowing with many thanks to God. Through the evidence of this service, they will glorify God because of your obedience to your confession in the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your sharing with them and with everyone. And in their prayers on your behalf, they long for you because of the extraordinary grace God has shown to you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen. Are you hungry for a church that looks like that? That gives abundantly, overflowing? God gives to them and they give to others? Are we, not, are we hungry for that? To be that? I wondered, I really wondered why these, I, I haven't spoken for a few months, and that's okay with me because I don't think I was ready, like I was going through a lot of personal things. 
and just working through a lot of a lot of stuff. And these three passages helped me out immensely in that time. God kept bringing them up, and I was I was wondering why. And I didn't really see how they were connected until I started preparing for this message. And I see, I see now that that if you build your house on the rock, and you're pre- that's you preparing yourself for when God calls you into more things. And if you rely on the Holy Spirit, and you're you're allowing Him to help you build your house on the rock, you are investing, and and the Holy Spirit is helping you build your house. And you're taking everything to him. You're in your prayer life. You're, you're going through the floods and the storms, but you are not shaken. You're not giving up. You're going through it, and you're relying on the strength of the Holy Spirit, and you're building, and you're building, and you're building. And then when God says to give, you're ready. I, I think it's so important for us to remember that, that we, have to, we, we have to be focused on the little things, the small steps. If a, if a house wants to stand, you have, to, you have to build it with intention. Are you building your life with intention so when God says to give, you're prepared? I, I interact and I work with a lot of young leaders. And I know I'm a young leader, but I've been doing it for a, like a long time. And it's, there have been so many times where I've wanted to walk away. Church splits, just church turmoil, all of it, or just personal stuff, wanting to do our thing, like tons of distractions, tons of things that has tried me to pull, pull me away from ministry. But I stand firm on the rock. And that's why I really hope that I'll interact with young leaders and they will get discouraged and, and want to walk away. Or they'll have a calling on their life and they'll be discouraged with how long it takes and give up hope because they don't build on the rock. You can, you can put your hope in the ministry and do well for a while. But if your hope isn't ultimately in Christ, you'll get very, very disappointed and burnt out on ministry. I've seen it and felt it, and I've had to realign with Jesus. Are you still with me? Okay. So let's, let's stand together. And I want to end and encourage you with this. Cheerful giving is intentional giving. And if, if, if you feel drained from giving, you're either, either giving out of the wrong motives or you're giving in the wrong area. And I want to encourage you that there are areas in our ministry, in this transition, in this time, that God wants you to get involved in. He wants us as a church to continue in ministry even in this time. He wants us surrendered to his will and walking 
in what he is calling us to do. And I encourage you, if, if you want to get involved more with Faith Center, or maybe you go to a different church. Like, I'm, what I'm saying here is God is calling us back to the church. And I know I'm speaking uniquely a lot to Faith Center, but in general, God's calling you to step in and be part of the church and be the church. And I want to encourage you. I hear a lot of you should, right? And like in youth ministry and in other things, you should do this, you should do this. I want to hear more we should. I want people to come alongside me and say, we should try this. And we can seek Holy Spirit together, seek God together and try things and walk in what God is calling us to ministry in. And I know that other, our other ministry leaders want that as well. There's, there are ministries, there are things already happening at Faith Center. You don't have to start anything new. You can step in, say, how can, how can we partner together and, and do what God is already calling us to do? And then how can we do more? So I want to encourage you with that. And so we're going to pray. We're going to have the prayer team come up, and they'll pray with you if you need any prayer. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're going to, this wasn't like a, this was really what was on my heart. This wasn't a, a giving message. But if, if, you, if, if you feel led to give, um, there's the text to give, 77977. And then the ushers are at the door. But the most important thing I want you to leave here with is what is God asking of you? What is he asking you to step into? He's going to unify the church, and if we're really seeking what God is calling us to, not what we want to see, not what we want to hope for, but actually truly hoping in what Jesus is doing, God's going to unify us. Because if we're all focused on Jesus, there can be no division because our God is not divided. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Would you unify us? Would we put our focus on you, not on humans? Would we seek after who you are? Like that song said, all our hope is in you. All glory to you. Lord, would you, would you just bring healing in this time? Would you bring growth in this time? Would you just allow us to step into what you're calling us to? And would we, would we come back? Would we, would we reach out to our friends and family and say, hey, it's time to come back and be the church. It's time to come back and be in community. We love you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for letting me talk at you for a little bit. Have a great rest of your day.